0: one or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. We had a slight recording problem on the live version of the program, and so you'll miss the few first seconds of the program, but we'll pick up where the recording picks up. As we talk about baptism on this edition of the Virtual Bible study, hope you'll stay tuned.
2: We' believe that we must follow Jesus' example, and if he was baptized, then so must we. The point at which I disagree is that unless you're baptized, you're not saved. However, does God not truly judge the heart? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward transformation. I've seen some baptized who never had a heart transformation. Then I also know of others who came through the Methodist uh, tradition of sprinkling and lived a life holy and pleasing to God. I've heard of ones who make their confessions yet died before they could be baptized. For example, many churches baptize on certain Sundays, making it very possible for someone to pass away between the time they made their public confession and the scheduled time of baptism. What would you say of those who don't have the opportunity? For example, deathbed confessions. You spoke of true life examples from the Word of God. What do you say about the thief in luke twenty three forty three whom Jesus himself told he would be in paradise with him by this man's own confession he knew he deserved the punishment he was getting, but believed that Jesus was the Christ. Also, how do you respond to Ephesians one thirteen which states, having believed you are sealed into the day of redemption? What of those who are too young to make the confession with understanding? You even reused Romans ten, nine, and ten, which makes no mention of baptism. Quote from the New International Versions If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It goes on to mention that those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Again, I completely believe that those who make an authentic confession must be baptized and give themselves to every opportunity to do so, and those like Sarah, and Sarah was our questioner on the YouTube uh, video who have every opportunity available, have no excuse, and I believe would be accounted to those as sin if they did not obey the word to be baptized. Yet I do not think it is fair nor right to discount the heart of those who have made true and authentic confessions according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, saying they are not saved if extenuating and unpreventable circumstances kept them from being baptized prior to their physical death. That's a little longer than we usually read, Jacob, but that is the basis of our program tonight, so we want to read that. If you're... Uh, viewing tonight and have not seen that. If you didn't get that in your email box today uh, so that you could comment about it earlier, if you will go to that banner on our website, you can click it on, you can open it up, you can look at it. We're going to go through this point by point. We've divided it up into eight points. and We'd love to hear your comments about those.
1: Now, this is a polarizing subject in the religious world today. There are people on both sides of the issue, and hopefully there are people on both sides of the issue listening to us tonight We'd like to hear from you. If you agree with us, if you disagree with us, we would like to hear from you. We've had one listener, Dad, who commented and said that we need to be careful about our tone, and we always need to be careful about our tone, especially tonight. When we're talking about this subject, we're not here to have a fight. We're not here to say, I'm right and you're wrong. We're here to say, what does God's word say? And let's find out what it says and let's do it. And that's our purpose for being here tonight. That's yeah. our only purpose. we
2: got one listener who uh, just along that line said, I want to commend this listener for his courage in sending in these questions and having them discussed on the virtual Bible study. This individual is clearly concerned with understanding God's will, which is a wonderful thing. My prayers are with him or her that they may learn more each day. That ought to be the goal of every one of us. And so, yes, we, we want to – we're not trying to be mean-spirited or, or – uh, Divisive or or uh, anything of that sort. We're simply looking to find out what the Word of God says on a subject that's very important, baptism, and a subject which, unfortunately, there's a lot of division about it in the religious world.
1: It is, and uh, that that division doesn't need to exist. So
2: I and think if we would just take the Bible at its word, we can we can cut through that. We can get through that division and differences of understanding. If we're, we're going to
1: have to make sure that we want to find out what the Bible teaches, not what I think not what I've always done, not what my parents taught me, what uh, the church I attend says. What does the Bible say? If we'll go to the Bible and we'll all play by the same rules, we'll be united by default. Exactly
2: right. So we, with the first point that we, uh, sort of sub-point, we divided this subject up, here's the first thing that we want to comment about. The, 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 the respondent said, I also believe that we must follow Jesus' example, and if he was baptized, then so must we. The point at which I disagree is that unless you're baptized, you're not saved. That's the key. That's really what we really want to know. I mean, nobody disputes Jesus was baptized. And even those who who have the view that baptism is not necessary, many of them, as this person does, believes it's a good thing to do. Nobody's arguing that. Jesus did it, and most people would acknowledge it's a good thing to do. The big, big question is, is it necessary for salvation? All
1: right. Along those lines, a uh, response to that question, Scott from the Rocket City, Huntsville, Alabama, says the listener said that if he was baptized, then so must we, speaking of Jesus. But then goes on to say that it is not needed for salvation. Which is it? Either we must or it is not necessary. can't be both.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a good observation. Just from the way this is worded, I believe that we must follow Jesus' example. That was the first part of that statement. But the last part of the statement says, I disagree that unless you're baptized, you're not saved. If it's something you must do, then it looks like that it would be a necessary thing. If it's a must, must implies necessity, obligation, requirement. If it's something we must do, then then it would be necessary for salvation. If, if I could paraphrase
1: uh, our questioner's uh, feeling on the subject, though, I believe he would probably say it's a good idea. To be bad, and that's that's pretty common in the religious world. It's a good idea. You should, but if you can't or you don't want to, or yeah, you haven't, that, it's that's okay. Prob-
2: that's probably true. But then we we need to be careful how we say it. You can't say it's something you must do and then say, but it's not necessary. If if it, if if you're going to say it's a good thing to do but not necessary, that'd be one way to say it. But I, that's the thing that we got to investigate uh david and i'm not sure where david is from but david is written in and says consider the case of cornelius in acts 10 here's a believer and a very devout man spiritually who's not saved also if we consider the type anti-type that peter uses in first peter 3 20, 21 we get a good picture as to when deliverance occurs noah's salvation required three three things an agent god an agency the flood a vehicle to use for the agency the ark Likewise, our salvation requires three things, an agent, Jesus, agency, the resurrection of Jesus, a vehicle to use for the agency, baptism. The vehicle without the agency will result in no deliverance. In other words, the agency minus the vehicle does not save. I never heard it said that way, but I think I agree with what he says.
1: Okay. All right. David's in Arkansas, by Arkansas. The way. Okay. All right. And Fred, uh, Fred doesn't have a comment here. No, he
2: was just looking for the link. Okay, we hope program. you
1: found it, Fred. We hope you're out there tonight. And Johnny in Leoma, Tennessee, says, Speaking of baptism as something that one must do or don't have to do is missing the point. The view salvation as a checklist of do's and don'ts is also missing the point. To have salvation is or should be the main question, and their do's and don'ts, are their do's and don'ts, I would think uh, them to be important in one's searching for salvation but not in order to keep and hold. Okay. Uh, so he doesn't say there really is anything that you have to do. It's not, there aren't requirements per se. I don't know that
2: I uh, yeah, know exactly I, I, where he's coming from there. I'm not exactly sure. He says b- baptism is a thing a new believer would want to do. And he goes on to say to be baptized, he quotes someone who says to be baptized is blessed, refuses damnation. Uh, but I'm not sure where, where Johnny would, would uh, uh land on the question of necessity of baptism uh Stephen in pennsylvania says uh he he, he questions the expression baptism is an outward expression of in, internal or uh internal transformation he says where's the book chapter and verse that states baptism is an outward expression i want one passage that includes such words as baptism outward expression internal transformation words related to that um that's a good question. Where where would we uh, we need could we find a passage that describes baptism in that fashion? Um, he he goes on to say we cannot be saved without the remission or forgiveness of sins, and such has been alluded to in Romans six. In addition, Acts two thirty eight also states that baptism is for the remission of sins. Mark sixteen sixteen states that belief and baptism, the word and includes both, will allow one to be saved. And so he's looking to some passages that I would also reference. Acts 2.38, Mark 16, 16. David mentioned 1 Peter 3.21, baptism doth also now save us. And so I think those are all important passages. If we're going to ask the question, do we have to be baptized for the remission of sins? Acts 2.38 tends to answer that question. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It's for the remission of sins. That, that verse is very plain. 1 Peter 3.21 says baptism saves us. Acts 22.16 says, uh, Paul was told to arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All right.
1: Brad in Athens, Alabama, says, as we, we cover on the program a few weeks ago, it is impossible to extricate baptism from salvation. That's a big word there. Brad means it's impossible to take baptism away from salvation or remove it from salvation. Every, almost every time it is mentioned, baptism is tied to remission of sins. Examples that come to mind are Mark 16, verse 16, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Acts 22, verse 16, baptism is inseparably bound up in salvation in the same way that faith, repentance, and confession are. And that's a good point. We have the same phrases used about baptism that we would
2: have about repentance and uh, faith if repentance, and confession. Think of it this way, Acts two thirty-eight. just take that verse alone. He, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If repentance is necessary for forgiveness of sins, and I think everybody agrees that it is, then baptism is also necessary. They're linked together with the word and. You can't separate them. Mark 16 16 puts belief and baptism. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If belief is necessary for salvation, baptism is too. They're joined with a conjunction. That's what Dean, in an email that he sends in, says, uh, he shows some of those linkages: belief and baptism saves. Mark and is baptized.
1: Shall Mark 16:16. 16, 16.
2: Repentance and baptism saves. Acts 2:38. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Paul had to be baptized that his sins would be washed away. Acts 22:16. To be in Christ, one must be baptized. That's how we get into Christ. Galatians 3:26 and 27. Peter said that baptism saves us. So those verses are, you know. Uh, if, if we're going to deal with the question, must a person be baptized in order to be saved? You've got to deal with those verses. Those verses are just very plain in regards to that. And we've got one more here. Uh, we've got Anthony from Columbia who says, Jesus clearly does establish an example of baptism, and we should most assuredly follow Jesus' exemplary life. But this logical argument alone does not prove or disprove baptism for salvation. Simple example does not suffice. Jesus also submitted to the ordinances of the Mosaic Law, should we? He he fasted in the wilderness 40 days, must we? He washed the disciples' feet. Ought we to wash one another's feet? I say these things only to demonstrate that not everything Jesus did becomes a binding practice for Christians only because he did it. In baptism, we must look to all that the New Testament has to say about it before coming to a conclusion. I think Anthony's right. I think it's a good observation. We don't do everything Jesus did. We, we don't keep the law of Moses as Jesus did. We don't keep the feast in Jerusalem as Jesus did. And so just because Jesus did it doesn't mean that's necessarily something that we are expected or obligated or even should be doing necessarily uh, in regards to law and and religious practice. The question is, what does the New Testament say is required for salvation?
1: All right. And finally, we're late for a break. Steve in Kentucky. Glad to see that Steve has electricity back. They had an ice storm there a few weeks ago. Steve's back online. Jesus' example in a religious practice establishes nothing for those under his New Testament. He was under the law of Moses and obeyed its commands, but it, it has been abrogated. He fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He went up on a mountain to pray, etc. Jesus' words and those of the apostles and prophets in the New Testament uh, establish authority for men's practice and belief for as long as his covenant is in force. The Lord personally taught baptism as necessary to enter the kingdom of God in John chapter 3, verse 5 that it is the action which makes one's a person makes a person one of his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and that the one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And we appreciate all those comments. We've got
2: now, one more. Let, one me more get, let me catch one more before we go to the break from Patrick in Birmingham, who says he's got a long uh, uh, comment on this point, and I'm not going to be able to read it all. But he says, the first... Point he'd like to make is that while yes we should follow Jesus example of living we don't have to do everything Jesus did Jesus kept the dietary regulations of the Jewish religion celebrated the Jewish holidays and so forth and 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 I I agree we were just making that point from some of these other uh, emailers Uh, on the necessity of baptism. He says several passages indicate the necessity of baptism. I'm just going to read these off: John three three through five, Acts two thirty eight, Romans six three through five, Colossians two eleven through fourteen, First Peter three twenty through twenty one, um, and anyway. Then he, as as our regular viewers will know. Uh, Patrick is a, a Catholic. He cites the Catechism of the Catholic Church on the necessity of baptism. I'm not going to read that because I don't personally believe that that establishes uh, authority, but the Catholics obviously believe and practice some form of baptism. We wouldn't even agree about the form, probably. But uh, anyway, those those comments, he does agree. Patrick would agree baptism is necessary. All right. We're going to take a break,
1: and when we get back, there'll be plenty more to go. If you'd like to get in on the discussion, you can do so by giving us a call or sending us an email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues
3: right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this.
3: Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with... members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this, which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6 verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation. But we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous.
4: I'm Trent Haynes, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual Bible study. Every Thursday shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like
1: to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it.
0: Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program.
1: And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Studies. We talk about baptism on the program tonight, and we're looking to hear from you. We want to hear from you if you agree with us, and we especially want to hear from you if you disagree. We'll be polite. We'll be kind. We're not here to have a fight. We're here to have a discussion about God's Word and to find out what God wants from us in our lives. We're here, all of us here, hopefully, tonight with the goal of better understanding God's will and so we want to hear from you on the virtual Bible study tonight give us a call at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven send us an email to questions at collegeview dot com as we examine an email that we got from a listener you know,
2: doing doing the program a little differently tonight than usual we're just taking this one email message that we got from a, a viewer who saw a video we put up on YouTube concerning baptism do I have to be baptized the the viewer took some exception to what we taught. That's fine. We're glad for people to take exception because we want to seek out the truth. And if we've represented it in error, that that needs to be pointed out. I hope that the one who contacted us and all others have the same attitude is show me what the Bible says, and that's what I'll believe. So we're going through this. And if you have not seen that message that was sent to us, there's a link on our page there, on a red banner on our page, on our website a click there, and you'll be able to see that message. We're going to go to the second point that, that uh, our emailer mentioned. He says, uh, However, does God not truly judge the heart? Baptism is an outward expression of an internal transformation. I've seen some baptized who had never had a heart transformation. Then I also know of others who came through the Methodist tradition of sprinkling and lived a whole, a life holy and pleasing to the Lord. So what about that? Scott in Huntsville says, As for those who've gone through baptism but never had a heart transformation, this unfortunately does happen. But just because that happens does not mean that it's just an outward act. As for the ones he or she mentions that go through the Methodist tradition, they may feel that they are pleasing to the Lord, but we have no authority or example of the sprinkling practice in the Bible, so how can we know that it is pleasing to the Lord? Well, I think Scott's observation is right certainly the, the bible would imply that there are those who are insincere in their religious practice that's always been a problem in matthew 15 verse 9 jesus spoke of some he says this people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me there's always been the problem of people who go through a uh, a form an outward form of religion without really involving their heart we understand that's always that's historically been true i'm sure it's still a problem today we can't judge hearts god does and so he knows whether we're being sincere in our religious practice or not uh i i would not be able to say you know that this person speaks with some confidence that those who went who were sprinkled in the methodist church have lived a life holy and pleasing to the lord well uh that would imply he's making some. First of all, some judgment about their heart. We'd also have to ask, ask about the question of sprinkling. I think Scott's right. Sprinkling is not taught in the Bible as a form of, of baptism. Baptism in the New Testament was clearly immersion, total immersion in water.
1: You reference a passage that said, "If our heart's not right with God, we won't be right with God." But our actions have to be right as well. And the passage that comes to mind with we consider this uh, question is John uh, Matthew chapter seven verses uh, twenty two and twenty three. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These people were not doing the right thing. They were working iniquity. They weren't following the instructions like they should have and followed. Them. And I think this is what we would say about the person in the Methodist tradition that if they've been baptized, if they've been sprinkled, yeah, and then they live apparently uh, look like a holy life, they're not in a right relationship with God because they're working in iniquity. They're doing good things just like the people in Matthew chapter 7, but they're not doing th- They haven't That's done the,
2: That's not according to law. It's yeah. lawlessness. Yeah. Iniquity is lawlessness without law. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that I, I would have some uh, disagreement, certainly with that statement uh, that we're studying. David uh, says... You say David's in Arkansas, right? Arkansas, that's correct. Uh, he says uh, God does judge the heart. First Peter 3.21 tells us that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. This portion of the text affirms that in water baptism one is seeking, inquiring, asking for a clean conscience. If one is saved by faith alone with without and before water baptism, then this verse makes no sense. Also in the case of Cornelius, he was a very devout man who worshipped God with the heart, but it wasn't until he obeyed the command to be baptized that he was saved. Romans 6, 17, 18 tells us that we have to be obe- obedient from the heart. This refers back to the obedience earlier in the chapter, verses 3 through 5. They had obeyed the command to be baptized and were now set free from sins after baptism. If we consider the figure in its fullness, we see that Paul is saying, you bury something that is dead, not something that is alive. This would be suicide. That's an interesting point. In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, if you're already saved... Before you're baptized, then you're actually uh, burying a living person. But, but Romans six verses three through five, the symbolism: you die to sin; you're buried in the waters of baptism; you rise to walk in newness of life. When that, you rise from the water of baptism, is when you come to newness of life. That's
1: when you. That's when you walk in newness of life. That's right. Not before. Uh, if, it, if it if you're saved before baptism, then. The imagery there does not apply.
2: Yeah, might really emphasize uh, to everybody to think of Romans six three through five. Good point, David. All right,
1: and we have uh, let's see, who do we have next? We got Stephen in Pennsylvania, yeah. and he says, uh, "You stated, uh, then I also know of others who came through the Methodist tradition of sprinkling and lived a life holy and pleasing to God. First, how do you know that they have lived a life pleasing to the Lord?" You would first have to prove scripturally that they were living godly lives, and that begs the next question, is sprinkling authorized in the Bible? Again, if you believe that the mode of baptism does not matter, then you need to provide scripture for your beliefs. First, going back to Romans chapter 6, verse 4, a baptism represents a burial. Therefore, a full immersion indicates the burial. How would sprinkling water over someone represent a burial unless the burial process involved sprinkling a little dirt over the dead bodies and just leaving them out to decay? We have also a proved example in Scripture of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8:26 through 39. Notice verse in verse 38 and 39 of Acts chapter 8 that they went into the water, and then it states in verse 39 that they came
2: up out of the water. All right, so that's the emphasis on baptism as immersion, not sprinkling uh dean says if the heart is right we will do what god says proverbs three one four four ten eight. 4 4 10 8 at times we try to justify our opinion in religious matters by saying god knows the heart indeed he does know the heart and if one is unwilling to do what he commands then he knows the heart is not right we are often told that baptism is just a sign of what has happened internally already but i know of no passage that would conf- confine baptism to such a definition it is true that some who are baptized grow uh, some who are baptized to grow, transform as they should. Baptism does not guarantee that one will become a mature Christian. The Hebrew writer chastised some for not growing as they should. Hebrews five twelve and following. Transforming into a person pleasing to God is a continuing lifelong endeavor. Romans twelve one and two. 2 Peter three eighteen.
1: Brad in Athens Alabama says I don't deny that God judges the heart. Baptism is an outward expression of the heart, just as our repentance, confession of Jesus' name, and other acts of obedience. First Peter chapter three verse twenty one. It still doesn't change the fact that Jesus, Peter, Philip, evidently according to Acts chapter 8, Ananias, and Paul all tie baptism to the remission of sins. And by the way, on that basis I must conclude that someone who has been sprinkled, not baptized, that is, immersed per Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4, has not obeyed the Lord's commands and is therefore not living a holy life and pleasing to the Lord.
2: Uh, From what Brad says there, think about it this way. I think it's a good point. What, what would you say? Confession is an outward sign of an inward conviction. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So, what could you say? Confession is not necessary. I mean, if if the if you believe in your heart, and confession is just a, an outward expression of what you have in your heart, then if you can dismiss baptism as only an outward expression of an inward heart. Then you could also dismiss confession.
1: You could also dismiss repentance because repentance begins in the heart, and if I'm not convinc- convicted in my heart, I'm not going to change my life. Yeah. And and changing my life is an outward expression of the fact that I have been convinced in my life in my heart that my life is wrong. It needs to change. So people wouldn't want to throw out repentance, and they wouldn't want to throw out re- re- confession, but they're very quick to throw out baptism. And there seems to be a disconnect.
2: I think that's a good point. Uh, Anthony says, God most certainly is the only being that knows the true feelings and intentions of humankind. Absolutely. The statement that baptism is an outward expression of an internal transformation certainly makes sense in the realm of human reasoning. Unfortunately, with all due respect, this notion is not found nor is it upheld when one considers the totality of New Testament teaching on baptism. Continuing on, certainly some people submit to baptism with ha- without having truly repented or dedicated themselves to following Christ. If this is the case, their baptism is, of course, meaningless. That immersion in water would be just as meaningless as my jumping into a swimming pool. No one is proposing, and the Bible does not teach, that the simple act of baptism, in the absence of submission to all other salvational actions, saves anyone. That's right. If, If it was just getting wet you know every time you took a bath i guess you could say you were saved we we're, we're saying it's not just the act of getting wet it's when as first peter 3:21 says in a good conscience we turn to god in the act of baptism
1: all right we need to take another break and get this week's bullet point but we'd like to hear from you and we'd especially like to hear from you if you disagree with what we've said so far we have time to take your calls or your emails we're going to take extra time with you. If you disagree with us, we would love to hear from you on the program tonight. We won't be angry. We won't be mean. We're just going to talk with you about why you disagree with us and maybe you can help us understand your position better. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll be back after these
0: messages. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our country accomplished
2: some incredible things during the hard trials of World War II. The feats of brave men and women who faced the enemy on the battlefields inspires our awe. But there is also amazing historical data that documents the amount of war materials and supplies that were produced in relatively short periods of time right here on the home front. With limited resources that sometimes required rationing, and without the advantages of the technology we now enjoy, the nation's war machine turned out essential equipment at a staggering pace. How was this done? The key to this effort was a campaign to convince every single worker of his or her importance to the ultimate goal of defeating the enemy and winning the war. The leaders of our country successfully persuaded everyone to work hard, make sacrifices, and contribute what they could to this end. The results were amazing. Against huge odds, the victory was won. We are in another sort of war. There are no tanks, planes, bombs, or missiles. We do not need workers preparing bullets or medical supplies. There's no need for rationing of gasoline or other necessary products. Instead, we are in a spiritual war, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. We battle against a very real and powerful enemy, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. To win this war, we definitely need every Christian fully engaged. Everyone counts. We cannot afford to have some of our vital workers slacking off in their duties. We must all endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Second Timothy 2, verse 5. Diligent effort, significant sacrifice, and determined commitment to the cause are essential. Every Christian serves in a critical capacity, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Some might suggest that the odds against us are overwhelming. But in truth, with God on our side, the enemy is doomed. As Elisha told his fearful servant, quote, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them, 2 Kings 6, verse 16. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program.
0: We'd love to hear from you anytime. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We're
1: glad you're a part of it tonight as we talk about baptism and we're looking to the scriptures to see what they tell us about the necessity of baptism. We believe that baptism is clearly taught as a necessity for baptism. Baptism doth also now save us. First Peter chapter three, verse twenty one. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark chapter sixteen verses fifteen and or verse sixteen. So we believe that baptism is required for salvation. We would like to hear from you, especially if you disagree with us tonight. 877-381-4567, Questions at collegeview dot com.
2: Jay, we're we're dealing with this uh, email that came to us from uh uh YouTube, one of someone who saw our YouTube video. This person is in uh, I think Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we're trying to get through their, their comments, and we're getting a lot of comments from others. So we're going to have to hurry to get through this. Um, the third the third thing that this. Person said, As I've heard of ones who made their confession yet died before they could be baptized. For example, many churches baptize on certain Sundays, making it very possible for someone to pass away between the time they made their public confession and the scheduled time of baptism. What do you say of those who don't have the opportunity? For example, deathbed confessions. So what do we say about that? Let's see what some of these people have said.
1: Scott in Huntsville, Alabama, says it is unfortunate that some have died before being baptized, but that is the cause for urgency we see in the New Testament when people are baptized in the middle of the night. He's speaking there in particular of the or the Philippian jailer. Acts
2: 16, the, verse 33, the church, baptized in the same hour of the night.
1: The churches that only baptize
2: on a certain Sunday are in error. You know, the, the Bible, if we're talking about Bible patterns, Scott's right. Acts sixteen verse thirty three, the Philippian jailer, at some risk to himself, was baptized in the same hour of the night. Once he became a believer in Jesus Christ, why not delay that if it wasn't urgent and didn't have to happen? Why didn't he wait until a safer time? So I think that's a good example.
1: Uh, go ahead. All right, Stephen in Pennsylvania says you stated many churches baptized on certain Sundays, making it very possible for someone to pass away between the time they made their public confession. And the scheduled time of baptism. Again, where is this principle taught in Scripture to wait and baptize people on a certain Sunday? I want to book chapter and verse, he says. In Acts, it was always immediate, such as we saw with the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, in Acts 2 verse 41, the Philippian, or Acts 16 uh, 33, the Philippian jailer. Uh, and every other conversion of Acts deals with an immediate baptism. This is a proved example. Give me just one example where they put off baptism until a particular Sunday. You also ask, what do you say of those who don't have the opportunity? My question is, uh, why did that individual have to wait until they were near death to put their trust in the Lord? Most people want to live a life of sin and then have the idea that they will slowly die in a bed, in bed at an old age and believe within themselves that they will repent at this time. And what kind of repentance is that? Now I will judge the heart. Uh, now I won't judge the heart. I'll leave that to God. Uh, You have given us stories, but let me tell you that I've also heard of stories of people dying in the hospital that are willing to risk their lives to be baptized and will do anything to be baptized regardless of the doctor's recommendations, even if it means carrying them to a baptistry so they can become baptized. However, stories and emotions do not make up for what God requires of us. Uh, We must uh, believe in God's justice.
2: All right, David says, uh, in each New Testament case, we have believers immediately baptized. I think that's the key point. In Acts chapter 2, uh, Acts, the, the whole book of Acts, actually, beginning in chapter 2, the book of Acts is a book of conversions. In every single conversion, the people baptized were baptized immediately upon their faith. There was no delay in the baptism. Uh, David says, the what-if scenario is not for us to judge. What if someone died before they got to the baptistry? We're not. We're, we're the teacher. We're not the judge in such matters, Uh he says, I'd like to hear such a case as an example. Uh, so uh, we just have to teach what the Bible says on that. And if someone died on the way to the bapti- Baptist, baptistry or died before they could get in the water, we'll leave God to judge that. But what we do is teach what the Bible teaches and I think the Bible is clearly teaching the necessity of baptism.
1: All right. Brad says, what if someone were in the middle of a Bible study, but the student died just before he believed? In other words, perhaps the teacher was just about to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, and the student would have believed if he'd only had the opportunity to read it. Alas, he suffered a heart attack before he could read the words that would have convinced him to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Is that man saved? Again, the only thing that we can have confidence in is doing God's will. No hypothetical situation changes the fact that baptism and faith and repentance and hearing God's word is necessary to be saved. I'm not saying that God cannot make an exception, a la the thief on the cross, but in absence of divine revelation that tells me otherwise, I must conclude that he does not. The man who dies before he is baptized is just as lost as the man who dies before he believes on Jesus. It is unfortunate that all churches do not learn from the example of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and the jailer in Philippi, Acts chapter 16, and therefore encourage those who have believed to be baptized immediately. The consequences of a delay are woefully sad. Nevertheless, Jesus did say that those led by the blind would also end up in the ditch, Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. He mentions the Ethiopian eunuch there. And that's another passage that tells us the necessity of baptism. Very inconvenient for that man. He didn't
2: delay. Riding in, no doubt, a dusty chariot. He had places to be. He had to interrupt his trip and go to the inconvenience of being baptized, but did so immediately without delay. If it wasn't necessary, if it was something that could have been put off or done later, why why didn't they put it off or do it later? I think that's a good question. Dean writes... Uh, what about the, you know, the, the point we're commenting on here? What about those who made their confession yet died before they could be baptized? He says the argument is based upon emotional appeal rather than on a scripture. what the scriptures actually say. If baptism is a command, then it it is, uh, and it is, he says, then no situation real or hypothetical will change the Lord's commands. My conviction is that a loving God, such as we serve, will give all individuals an opportunity to come to Christ. If someone did die on the way to be baptized, did they not have the opportunity to be obedient the day before or even earlier? This is one of the reasons we are to make things right with God now. We have no guarantees to wait, James 4, 13 through 15. It is true that many churches baptize on certain Sundays or once a month, but that's not the Bible pattern. In the New Testament, individuals who heard the gospel and believed it were baptized immediately. He references several scriptures in Acts. Here's an interesting question he asks. If Naaman, 2 Kings 5, if Naaman had been in a chariot accident on the way to the Jordan River to dip seven times to be cleansed, Would he have died a leper? Yeah, he would have. He would have died a leper if he didn't get to the water. Uh, Kind of an interesting parallel there.
1: Uh, Thank you, Dean, for your comments tonight. And Anthony says, those those who teach that baptism is essential to salvation would not ever delay baptism for a special service or a more convenient time. Consider the Ethiopian eunuch. As As soon as he saw water, he commanded the chariot to stop and was immediately baptized. The Philippian jailer was baptized straightway, even though it was past midnight. Once one has realized that he must be baptized and has submitted to the other acts in which are clearly taught as necessary for salvation, he should do just as these two men did and be baptized immediately. Even if the act of baptism would result in my death due to medical conditions, I must do it. The Bible, nay God, it does not allow for man to apply his own situational ethics to decide when he, his will is acceptable and when it is not.
2: All right, let's go quickly, real quickly, Jacob, before a final break, and we'll go to the top of the hour.
1: And let's mention the chat room. If you'd like to go to the chat room, there are some people there who have done a little bit of chatting, it looks like. a Dean in Louisiana and John in Oklahoma are there in the chat room, and there's some other people as well. You can discuss this
2: topic. Talk among yourselves yeah. while we're talking. Uh, don't want, talk the, over uh, us. Uh, just t- chat away there in the chat room if you want to do that. Uh, real quickly, the uh, the question that we had in our email, what do you say about the thief on the cross? Jesus told him he would be with him in paradise. Um, Scott says, let's go quickly through these answers. The thief on the cross died while still under the old law. It was not commanded to be baptized, but regardless, Jesus had the power to uh, that none of us has to say that the man could be saved. The thief on the cross died before Jesus did. Jesus was still, I mean, excuse me, I'm not correct. The thief on the cross, Jesus, blessed him while Jesus was still alive before Jesus died. While Jesus was on earth, he blessed many people directly. He 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 blessed the thief on the cross directly. The will of Jesus Christ, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, went into effect after his death. So anything that happened before his death wouldn't be pertinent necessarily to us as to what to do to be saved. While Jesus was alive, he could bless people as he wished, and he did. The many thief people. on the
1: cross is not the only one That's who right. had his sins forgiven. Exactly right. And baptism prior to Jesus' death didn't have any meaning attached to it as it does for us today. Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many as of, of, of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. That's
2: Romans. Yeah, Romans, Romans 6, six uh-huh. 3
1: and 4. Right. Uh, the thief on the cross had no death to be baptized into, and so it, uh, it didn't uh, have that same connection that it had today, and it wasn't... Uh, it wasn 't the binding no yeah, we uh, can 't use the
2: thief on the cross because the thief on the cross died before the before the command to be baptized for the remission of sins in acts two thirty eight was ever preached um, David says we do not know if the thief had been baptized by John or not actually i don 't think that's really uh, uh, germane to the question he says he he goes on and says he was still living under the old covenant, and certainly Jesus is the final judge and has the right to pardon and to forgive. We agree to that uh Stephen in Pennsylvania says uh, quickly everyone brings up the thief but they fail to realize first that the new covenant did not go into effect until everything was fulfilled uh did not jesus say this in matthew 5 18 when everything was fulfilled once he it was fulfilled when he was resurrected baptism could not take place until that time additionally god can save whoever he wants uh and i, I believe that's accurate you see another one jacob
1: oh i don't
2: um uh, real quickly uh this is uh, this is Dean. Dean says, The thief on the cross is a common argument used by some to denounce the necessity of baptism. Of course, the thief is not the only person whom Christ forgave during his earthly ministry. Matthew 9, 1-6, Luke 7, verse 36 and following. In my thinking, this issue comes down to understanding what law was in force. The scriptures teach that the law of Moses fulfilled its purpose, and now the law of Christ is in force. That there are two covenants is made clear in many places. The question is, when did Christ's law go into effect? The answer is, at his death especially Hebrews 9, verses 13 through 17. The events with the malfactor on the cross took place prior to Christ's law going into force, which contains the commandment to be baptized for the remission of sins. And from
1: the chat room, John in Oklahoma says, one thought on this point, the thief could not have believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as per Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. No one living today can be saved as the thief not believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey,
2: that's a, I never even thought about that. But the thief couldn't have believed in the resurrection of Jesus. It hadn't happened yet. So if you're going to be saved like the thief on the cross today, could, would you say, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross? I deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do not believe it. But I still want to be saved like the thief on the cross was saved. Wouldn't be possible. Good good point. Interesting.
1: If you want to talk to John about his comment, he's in the chat room waiting to talk to you. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back, take it to the top of the hour. We're not going to get through tonight, but we're going to give it our best shot. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
0: Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study
4: after this commercial. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you'd like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 4567 our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a bible answer for anything that we do or teach and that we will do so in a loving manner so if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any bible subject email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567 thanks for listening to tonight's virtual bible study and we hope to hear from you soon. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Quit checking your
0: email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys.
1: Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. And I must say that I've been disappointed by the virtual Bible study tonight. We have not had comments from those who disagree with us. And we have been asking for that. And if you're out there listening and you disagree, please do uh, step forward. Raise your hand by calling or sending us an email. Let us know uh, why you disagree and give us uh, your reasoning from the Scriptures. We'd love to hear from you on the program tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in on the discussion.
2: Real quickly, the fifth point from our email that we're answering tonight, how do you respond to Ephesians 113, which states that, having believed, you are sealed until the day of redemption uh from from dean he says a saving belief is more than mental assent there are those who believe that jesus was the son of god but because of fear of men would not confess him john twelve forty two. we know that no individual who's ashamed of jesus will be saved matthew ten thirty two and 33 but the text this text clearly says they were they believed but they weren't saved uh they didn't have they didn't have saving belief those who truly believed are baptized Acts two forty one. I think that's the answer to that question, Jacob. We're going to let it rest at that because we could get more into that. But many times when the scriptures refer to saving faith, there, some people, as as uh, Dean pointed out in John chapter twelve verse forty two, there were people who believed who were not saved. But saving faith is a faith that pro- produces obedience. Uh, And I think that is very clearly seen in James chapter 2, where James says in verse 18, Thou hast faith, I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, which is actually impossible. And I will show thee my faith by my works. Verse 24, he says, faith without, uh, you see then how that works by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we'll let that rest for that answer on uh, on uh, ephesians 1 verse 13 i believe that's talking about saving faith and saving faith incorporates obedience
1: we can read about that saving faith in hebrews chapter 11 and all of the people that are mentioned there i believe show their faith by their obedience and without their obedience they would not have had faith and the two cannot be separated
2: all right the six points from our email what are those who are too young to make a confession with understanding
1: they're too young to make a confession with understanding, and they're too young to know their need uh, for salvation. They're too young uh, to believe. They're too young to have faith if they can't confess.
2: And they're not accountable.
1: You know, uh, I learned to talk a lot longer, a lot sooner than I learned to have faith in in Jesus Christ.
2: That's right. And And those who are too young to understand are are then still in a safe condition. They're not accountable. They haven't reached, as Scott says, the age of accountability. I think that's a pretty easy answer on that one.
1: Patrick in Birmingham would disagree with us on that, and perhaps our listener in Louisville would disagree. Perhaps uh, the the listener in Louisville implies that we're born in in a lost condition, that we're born inheriting sin. We disagree with that, and we could talk that up on a different program. Yeah,
2: uh, David says these should not be baptized. Understanding is essential to belief and the faith that would lead one to understand the necessity of obedience uh romans 6 verses 3 through 5 which we've mentioned talk about baptism verse 17 of the same chapter says that our obedience in baptism and everything else has to come from the heart you can't obey from the heart that which you're not old enough to understand if if young children too young to understand uh, needed to be baptized they couldn't be baptized scripturally because uh, understanding confession repentance are all prerequisite of scriptural baptism they couldn't do any of the things that are necessary. But the problem, of course, is they don't even need baptism because they're not accountable yet. They they don't need forgiveness of sins.
1: And then the next question raised by our listener says, you even used Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which makes no mention of baptism. He quotes from the New International Version, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess, and are saved it goes on to mention that those who trust in the lord will not be put to shame so he says you reference romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 it tells you what you need to do in order to be saved repent or to uh, believe and confess and that's well the
2: implication is that's all it would take to be saved but the problem there is and I, and, and this person would have, this, have to explain this the same way we do that passage doesn't mention repentance right so in other words, that passage mentions believing and confessing as necessities. I, 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 I certainly agree that these things are necessary towards salvation. But I believe, and I think this fellow who sent us the email would agree, that repentance is necessary towards salvation. It was not mentioned in that text. So the answer to that is easily we have to put the whole thing together. We have to take all the information about salvation and put it all together to get the answer. The
1: same, same way that, that most people in the religious world would do when it comes to worshiping God. We we don't read about all of the acts of worship that God would require of us in one passage. God doesn't tell us to take of the Lord's Supper in the same passage that he tells us to sing. So we have to take
2: the Bible all, and all take together. all of it put, put, it, put it, put it together. Put it all together, exactly right. Um, This is from Dean, I believe, who said, yeah, Dean says, It is true that every passage that addresses salvation does not specifically mention baptism. This text does not mention repentance either, but we know it's necessary, Acts 3.19. As As with any Bible topic, we need to consider all the information God gives us. If I just read John 11, verse 35, nothing else, would I have an accurate view of Jesus... Also, in order to get to Romans 10, I have to go through Romans 6. Consider verses 3 through 6. Is Paul contradicting himself by teaching two different things, or is it more reasonable to conclude that both are necessary? Right. In Acts 6, Paul taught baptism. In Acts 10, he taught belief and confession. There's no contradiction there. They all go together.
1: Brad in Athens, Alabama says, Neither does Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 or John chapter 3 verse 16 mention repentance. Does that mean that someone who uh, would be saved who merely believes but does not repent? If that is the case, demons are saved according to James chapter 2 verse 19. The demons also fear and tremble, as he references there in James 2.19. And if the viewer should argue, as I've heard one argue before, that clearly repentance is included in saving faith, how does he know that? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, does not tell us that repentance is necessary. Neither does John 3.16. Only when we consider other Bible passages alongside Romans chapter 10 do we understand that a person must repent. So again, we cannot consider any single verse or passage in a vacuum. We all admit... That we must qualify the words faith and belief, so let us let the Bible qualify them. And the Bible qualifies saving faith or belief, not only with repentance and confession, but also baptism and living faithfully
2: after that. Okay, and real quickly, Steve in Kentucky has got, I think, a really scholarly answer here. He says, Paul uses the phrases, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart because they fit the words of Moses as quoted in the previous verse. The previous verse said, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, uh, Romans 10, verse 8. In the, in the context, Paul is contrasting righteousness based on perfectly keeping a law, Romans 10, verse 5, with righteousness based upon faith and affirms that Moses taught righteousness by faith in Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14. However, righteousness based upon faith is not just believing. It includes confessing Jesus as Lord that cannot be denied by an honest student of the passage. It also includes baptism, as Paul had already taught earlier in the letter, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Baptism is a part of saving faith and cannot be separated from it by man's feelings. All right. A good, that's a good comment. Uh, appreciate it, Steve. Real quickly, we've got one more thing to go here. Uh, question: The the eighth point from the email I completely believe that those who make an authentic confession must be baptized and give themselves to every opportunity to do so. Uh, those who have opportunity have no excuse. I believe it would be accounted to those as sin if they did not obey the word to be baptized. Yet I do not think it is fair or right to discount the heart of those who have made true and authentic confessions, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, saying they are not saved if extenuating and unpreventable circumstances kept them from being baptized prior to their physical deaths. What do we say about that? Scott says the listener is contradicting himself, saying the person must be baptized and sins if they do not, but that some can just believe and and those are uh, and say they believe to be saved. Uh, that does, the, the statement does seem to be self-contradictory, wouldn't you agree, Jacob? Well, I think so. Um, David says in,
1: in Arkansas, we are not a judge; God is the final judge. We are teachers, as well as teachers, we teach. Uh, We as teachers, our teachers, and as teachers, we teach what Christ commanded. That is, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned.
2: All right. Stephen in Pennsylvania says uh, you contradict yourself when you say that uh, you yourself believe that people must be baptized, but then make arguments against having to be baptized. You cannot say that they must be baptized in one instance and then say that it's not necessary in another instance. Uh, Dean says... Uh, Not trying to be cute or rude, but we need to understand that our goal is always to go by what the Bible says. Baptism is clearly commanded. Again, if our heart is right, we'll simply do what God says to do and not look for excuses to justify doing something else or nothing at all.
1: And Brad in Athens, Alabama, says it may be that God would forgive a man who makes a deathbed confession but dies before being baptized. But God would be making an exception in that case based on the revelation he has given us. How can I assure someone that God will do something that he has not told me he will do? The only thing which I can have confidence in which I can have confidence and of which I can reassure others is what God has told me he will do, and that is what he will forgive and that, this is what that and this is that he will forgive the sins of those who he says hear the word Romans 10:17 believe we'll it at Mark chapter 16 verse 16. Repent, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Confess, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And are baptized, Acts chapter 22, verse 16.
2: Anthony says, the, uh, unfortunately, the New Testament does not provide for exceptions to the rule of baptism for the remission of sins. This is why every example of baptism in the New Testament illustrates the immediacy of it. Again, unfortunately, it is not the uh, in the power of God's creation to determine its own rules or exceptions for salvation. And finally, Steve says... Uh, Would the correspondent think it fair and right to discount the heart of those whose unpreventable circumstances kept them from making true and authentic confessions prior to their physical death? I must assume not. Would he then teach all men that confession of Christ as Lord is not a requirement of salvation? If so, he removes from the faith once delivered an element which the Holy Spirit included, and he makes Paul and Moses liars according to righteousness by faith, regarding righteousness by faith. The same is true of baptism. Why not accept completely and teach without compromise what was plainly revealed by the Holy Spirit and leave to the judge of all the earth any questions regarding the status of someone who lacked the opportunity to act? Wouldn't we call that faith? What we think about such cases does not make any difference and requires no comment. That's right. All we can do is teach what the Bible teaches and we're not we're not lawgivers, we're not legislators, we're not judges. We cannot authorize exceptions to the stated commands of God. We just simply have to teach what it teaches.
1: All right, and John in Oklahoma from the chat room again says, the faith required for salvation is compared to and likened to the faith of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Abraham would not have been considered faithful, and had he not obeyed God from the beginning, one who has the faith of Abraham will obey all that Jesus taught, and we agree with that and appreciate uh, John for his participation in the program tonight.
2: Well, we've had to rush through this. We've got so many comments, and I think what, uh, and one of, one of our emailers asked that we do this. I'm going to forward these emails to our respondent in Kentucky so that maybe there's a chance to study them with a little more detail, a little more relaxed, a little more time to look over the different things and, that are taught.
1: And we hope our respondent would like to uh, feed, give us feedback on what has been said tonight. We can, yeah. can We can continue the dialogue, and maybe you would agree with some of the things that, the res- that this emailer has sent in, and uh, some of the arguments that were made tonight. And you disagree
2: with us. Jacob, <laughs> I've got uh, in the inbox suddenly I've got ten messages Whoa. that we didn't get to. So just a lot of response here. What we will do, we didn't we didn't get to cover all these. Obviously, what we will do is we'll take these emails and we will forward them to the fellow who gave us the initial email from Kentucky, and uh, hopefully that'll be uh, something to be learned on all sides that way. And we
1: do appreciate uh, that questioner in Louisville, Kentucky, for taking the time to send us the email, and we hope that he believes that we've dealt with his uh, questions in a respectable manner, in uh, the appropriate manner that uh, the Lord would instruct us to do tonight. And uh, we just um, want to study God's Word, and we want to apply it in our lives. We have no agenda, Dad. You, 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 our, you, you our agenda
2: is to try to understand the Word of God and do it.
1: You're not connected with some type of baptistry manufacturer where you're no, getting kickbacks exactly by right. promoting baptism. In exactly. fact, it would be much more convenient for you even as a preacher to not believe in baptism. You have gotten you get wet when you baptize people. Exactly, uh, But we just believe it's what the Scriptures teach, and then that we want to do that.
2: That's what we're, we're trying to understand and, and apply the teachings of the Scripture.
1: All right. Good. We appreciate uh, the time tonight, Dad. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for listening. We appreciate uh, studying the Bible with you. What a wonderful opportunity we've had to study with you tonight. And we hope that you'll be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.